So the theme for this year is spirit of life. And if there's one thing that the Holy Spirit does when he comes is that he brings us life. This is the primary function of the Holy Spirit. The Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed of 381 AD speaks of the Father in the first article. I believe in one God and Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of things seen and unseen. The second article of the Creed speaks of Jesus, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. The prior to that, it speaks of him being uh, God, very God, begotten, not made, light of very light, of the same essence of the Father. And then the third article of the Creed speaks of the Holy Spirit, and the Creed calls him the Lord and giver of life. The Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life of life. And the cry of our hearts in 2019 is come Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to bring us life. He comes to bring us life. Now there's no place where this is exhibited more powerfully and more poignantly than in the book of Acts. And this is why we are studying the book of Acts chapter by chapter between now and and the end of May. Acts chapter 2 is a pivotal chapter. It's, a, it's an extremely important chapter for us. And there's four things that happen in the second chapter of Acts. The first thing that happens is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon this group of 120 people that are gathered in this little upper, upper room. They're not gathered in the upper room because it's more spiritual to be in a higher place. They were not thinking, you know, I'm getting closer to God by going to a higher elevation. It's not about that. I hear people say, well, I'm going to go up to a mountain because God is closer to me. No, no, God is just as close in the valley as he is on the mountaintop. He's just as close in the basement as he is on the top floor of the building. I'll never forget being underground in China with underground churches. We met in a basement. I mean, the floorboards of the building were above us, but God was definitely down there with us. Uh, in that basement. They were meeting in the upper room because they were scared to death. They were looking for a good hiding place. That's what they were doing. They wanted a place where they could lock themselves in securely, where they could close the blinds and close the windows and close the doors, where they could be to themselves and, and they could wait. They could obey the command of Jesus, but to do so as inconspicuously as possible. That was their Desire. That's the desire of a lot of believers, you know. I want to obey the commands of Jesus, but do so as inconspicuously as possible. Hopefully nobody will discover that I'm a Christian. Hopefully nobody will ask me any questions. Hopefully nothing about my lifestyle will be considered offensive to anyone. Uh, I want to avoid the offense of the gospel. I simply, but I do want to obey the command of Jesus. I simply want to do so as inconspicuously as possible. The Holy Spirit comes and messes up their whole plan to remain incognito. There's the sound of a rushing mighty wind. It fills the house where they're assembled. So the first sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit is wind, gale force wind. And then secondly, there's fire that appears. And the scripture says cloven tongues of fire. And we talked about this before. Basically, if you took a torch and you lit it on fire, what, what appears at the top of that torch is fire that's in the shape of a tongue. And so a torch was called a tongue of fire. If you had to go into a dark cavern, uh, somebody would say, go grab a tongue of fire and let's go. 
And you grabbed a tongue of fire and you were able to go into dark places. But this is a play on words here. Tongues of fire appeared and separated and rested above each head. So so what's happening on the outside that's visible is actually a sign of what's about to happen on the inside that's invisible. And so the the cloven tongues of fire are a sign. They're seeing in a vision this fire of the Holy Spirit. It's separating, resting above each head. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, first thing we need to understand is that this is the day of Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50. It was the 50th day after Pentecost. Passover, which means the Passover feast commemorated when they came out of Egypt. When the angel of death passed over, God told Moses to tell every Israelite male while they were still in Egypt to take the blood of a spotless lamb and to put it on the doorpost of his home. That night, the angel of death came through Egypt and put to death the firstborn of every home, but passed over every home that had the the blood of the spotless lamb on the doorpost. And the next morning, they were brought out of Egypt. It was through the Passover that they were brought out of Egypt. So every year in Israel, they celebrate the Passover feast in which they commemorate and they eat the the spotless lamb. They have that lamb in the Passover feast that commemorates that it was the blood of the spotless lamb that brought about our Passover. So they celebrate the Passover. They eat the Passover lamb. And then when they... They head off into the wilderness. They head off into the desert. They cross the Red Sea. And on the 47th day after they left, they arrived at Mount Sinai. And God spoke to Moses and said, Sanctify the people for three days and then I'm coming. On the 50th day, God came and sat on Mount Sinai and spoke to the entire assembly. I am Yahweh God who brought you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. And then gave them the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That was the day of Pentecost, or the 50th day. That's what it means. The 50th day was the day that they commemorated the revelation of God at Sinai. On Sinai, number one, there was a dramatic revelation of the presence of God. And number two, there was the giving of the law of God. However, that dramatic revelation of the presence of God was external. God came and sat on a mountain that they were not allowed to touch. They were able to see the presence of God, but they were not able to encounter the presence of God. The presence of God never touched them. They saw the presence up there, but they had no access to the presence in here. And then secondly, the law of God was also external. It was written on tablets of stone. They were able to read the law out here, but the law never got in here. But on the day of Pentecost, first of all, the revelation of God's presence was internal. It wasn't just external. There was an external sign, the fire from heaven and the wind. But then there was an internal reception. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't just see the Holy Spirit and they didn't just observe the Holy Spirit. They filled They were filled with the Holy Spirit. There was an overflowing reception of the Holy Spirit. And Paul talks about the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. 
Jesus, which sets us free from the law of sin and death. When Paul talks about the law of the Spirit, he's talking about the fact that when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, God writes his laws on your heart and in your mind. That's according to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 and following. God said in the last days, he would make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And he said, I will write my laws in their minds and in their hearts will I write them. And no longer will a man teach his neighbor saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will remember their lawless deeds no more. So there was this internal revelation of God's presence. It was on the inside and there was this internal revelation of God's law. It was on the inside. This is fundamental for our understanding of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. This is the birth of the New Testament church. This is the beginning of New Testament Christianity. This, you know what this is reminiscent of? Is the Garden of Eden. God creates the garden. And then he forms the man out of the dust of the ground. And then what does God do? He gets down on his hands and knees and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. He puts the spirit in him. And then man becomes a living soul. God here has formed the church of Jesus Christ, but now breathes into her nostrils the breath of life. And the church becomes a living entity, a living being. What makes the church alive was not a strategy, not a plan. It was the breathing of the Holy Spirit. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was the wind of the Holy Spirit. It was the fire of the Holy Spirit. The very nature of the church was the presence of the Spirit of God. And until the Spirit of God came, the church was not the church. That's right. Wow. The Christian religion... It's not simply about religious ceremonies or even religious observance. It's not even about morality or ethics. Mm -hmm. It's not even about theology or doctrine. It's about the living presence of God on the inside of you. It's about the law written upon the heart. And it's about the spirit breathing from within. Come on, come on. That's what it's about. That's right. Now, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak in other tongues or languages is really what the word means. Tongues of fire appear. They're filled with the Spirit and they speak in other tongues. They speak in different languages. In this particular instance, the gift of tongues was not the kind of gift of tongues that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where he says when one prays in tongues his spirit is edified but his understanding is unfruitful. In fact, no one understands him Howbeit, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. When you hear people speaking in tongues in the midst of service, oftentimes that's the kind of tongues that people are speaking in. It's, it's a mystery. You don't understand. It's not, it's not a human language that's simply that, uh, that's being spoken but it's actually a divine language. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he speaks of speaking with the tongues of men and of angels. So there, the tongues of angels are the language of heaven, okay? But in this particular situation, the Holy Spirit empowered these 120 individuals to speak other human languages without ever having learned them perfectly. Come on, come on. 
So they're speaking with other tongues, which means they're trying to keep quiet up there. <laughs> they're up there having a quiet prayer because they had been praying for 10 days. But it was like a meditation fest. They were praying for 10 days, but it was just kind of, you know, when you ever pray silently and you got a rock? What, you, what you're doing when you're rocking is you're just trying to keep yourself awake. <laughs> this is the only thing to remind me that I'm praying. They were up there rocking for 10 days. Why? Because they wanted to keep quiet. Why? Because their Lord was just crucified and they thought, we're next. Right, right. Matter of fact, the rumor was that the disciples had stolen his body. So anytime they're going to get picked up, they're going to get interrogated, maybe tortured, maybe killed themselves. Bring us back the body. You stole the body. And so, so they're thinking, you know, it's all over for us in a few minutes. They don't even want to be in Jerusalem. Had Jesus not told them, go back and wait in Jerusalem, they probably would have run for their lives to the ends of the earth. Right, right. But Jesus says, you go back to Jerusalem. You go back to the most dangerous place. You're going back to the scene of the crime. <laughs> the place where they think, you stole my body. Go back there and wait and don't move until the Holy Spirit comes. Wow. And they go... And the first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes is they cannot contain themselves. Wow. And 120 people in a room start screaming <laughs> as loud as they can in randomly different languages. Can you imagine if the person next to you got it before you did and they're like, they start saying, you know what I mean? You're like, what the heck? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and the person next to you is like, wee wee, Toriador. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, who knows, you know? What, I mean, who knows what they're saying, you know? I mean, and all of a sudden you're freaking out because it's like geysers. Everybody's exploding around you in different languages. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're like, you know what I mean? You're like, you, know what I mean? you know what I mean? It just like hits you. And the scripture says that there were gathered in Jerusalem a, a people from every nation under heaven. I want you to, 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 I, to notice that language. Luke says, every nation under heaven. There was a gathering from every nation under heaven. But it says there were Jews from every nation under heaven. So it's actually only one nation represented. But this one nation represents every nation under heaven. Why? Because these were Jews of the dispersion that goes all the way back to 722 B.C. when the Assyrians came in and drug off the northern kingdom, which was, the ten, which was ten of the twelve tribes, drug them off into captivity and began to scatter them throughout the world. And then there was the Babylonian captivity where more were drug off into captivity. And then there was... Um, um, you know, Alexander the Great, and there was, there was more relocating happening there during the time of Alexander and Hellenism and all of that. And so what you had was these Jews who for more than 700 years had been scattered all over the world and lived in these little Jewish enclaves all over the world. Many of them had lost the Jewish language and only spoke the native language of whatever city or whatever country they had been carried off to. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, how many of you are, are, are come from immigrant families? You're either first, second, or third generation immigrants. Um, it's okay, you know? <laughs> right? I mean, you tend to lose the language within 
one or two generations. Right. Well, imagine 700 years from now. Like, your kids are going to be like, we're Korean? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, what's Korean? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, you know, a lot of these, these Jews had completely lost the language, and they only spoke Greek. And so that's why uh, during the time of Alexandria, actually, the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek uh, from Hebrew, and it's called the Septuagint, that translation, so that the Hebrew Bible could be read throughout the dispersion, right? So, but these guys came back to Jerusalem three times a year for the, the main feasts, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and then later the Feast of Tabernacles, which was commemorated their 40-year wandering in the wilderness. And so from every nation in which the Jews had been dispersed, there were devout men, Jews, who had come from those nations to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, which was also called the Feast of the First Fruits or the Feast of Weeks. And they're gathered here. Why does Luke use this language, though, every nation under heaven? It's important language. What he, what he is actually alluding to is that all of the nations had gathered together in Jerusalem to bear witness to this historic outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was for all of the nations. Yeah. That is the import of what God did in that upper room with those 120 people was for every man and every woman in every nation under heaven and there was a representative gathering in Jerusalem from, quote-unquote, every nation under heaven to bear witness to what God was doing in pouring out his spirit upon the earth. And what is the prophecy of Joel 2.28? He says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Yeah. Meaning there's going to be a universal outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is that will be universally available. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've been through. Yeah. There is the universal availability of the Holy Spirit to whoever would come to God in faith and expectation. That's right. And then he names this he gives this laundry list of nations, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Pontus and, and uh, Phrygia and Galatia. And, I mean, he doesn't say Galatia, but um, Asia, Cappadocia and, and, and Pontus and, and, uh, and all of these different nations. And it says, now, now listen to the response of the crowd. It says they were perplexed. Verse 6, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. They were perplexed because they heard them all speaking their languages. Their, their languages from back home. But they knew that everybody in the room, they're all Judeans, Galileans, meaning they're locals. They grew up here. They speak Hebrew, and they speak Greek. That's it. But the ones from Mesopotamia, like how are they speaking Mesopotamian? And the one from, I mean, what you, you got to get a picture of what this would actually feel like. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of, do you ever watch, uh, so my wife watches a lot of uh, Korean TV. And uh, there's some of those TV shows where they'll have like a foreigner, like a white dude. <laughs> And, and all of a sudden, he'll be like, yo, yo. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> could it? <laughs> you know, and they're like, <laughs> you know? And uh, they're like, oh. 
And they, whenever like a white dude or something like that starts speaking Korean, you know, <laughs> they're like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, everybody freaks out. <laughs> you know what I mean? They all freak out. What's even more crazy is when a black dude, like they'll have like a, like an African black dude, like a black black dude, and all of a sudden he starts speaking Korean. Everybody freaks out. It's like, I didn't even think people, I didn't even think black people were capable like a form, like, okay, I'm not going to get into that. But anyway, <laughs> let me just stop right there before I get too offensive. That's my comedian side. My, my wife was here. She rebuked me. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, ima- I mean imagine, imagine this. Imagine you're in Ethiopia and you walk into a church full of Ethiopian Ethiopians and they all start speaking Korean. That's how it would feel. <laughs> That's how, it, that's how it felt to these guys. They were like, what in the world is going on here? And they were confused. And then verse 12 says, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Whatever could this mean? So part one, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Part two, the people are perplexed. There's this gathering. I, I, I want to I set this up so that we understand that the early church was born because 120 people got so full of the Holy Spirit that they made a commotion. Yeah. Yeah. And they lost control. Yeah. You hear people say, don't get too out of hand. Don't let it get too out of hand. You don't want to freak people out. <laughs> But the early church was born because 120 people got wow. so out of hand yeah. that they freaked out a crowd of thousands of people. Yeah, yeah, come on. A crowd of thousands of people gathered around to figure out what was wrong with these 120 people who were going crazy, speaking other languages. What in the world is going on in here? Foundational to our being as a church, foundational to our responsibility as a church is to get so full of the Holy Spirit that we become a spectacle. That the world would gather around and say, what in the world is going on in there? Matter of fact, this is the pattern throughout the book of Acts. Because what's getting ready to happen here is Peter's going to stand up and preach a sermon. And at the end of that sermon, 3,000 people are going to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But without the exhibition... Of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there would have been no sermon because nobody would have asked the question, whatever does this mean? Yeah. Right, right. That's good. The pattern in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit does something crazy. <laughs> the people are confused. And so somebody has to preach a sermon to explain what the heck is going on over here. Come on. That's the occasion of pretty much every sermon in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit does some crazy stuff. Whether it's a crazy miracle or healing, whether it's the casting out a demon, whether it's folks getting full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is acting up in the book of Acts. He does not, you know, and we say stuff about the Holy Spirit like, he's a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He only comes 
if you invite him. <laughs> no, he is not a gentleman. He is God. Yeah, yeah. And God does not wait to be invited. Now, he'll only come into your heart if you invite him, but he will come into your neighborhood and mess everything up. <laughs> he will come into the room. He, it's, when he comes in, he does not come quietly. Wow, wow, that's good. He does not come to sit at the back and wait to be given a place to speak. Yeah, you right. know what that's I mean? Right. Like, no, he comes and just violently, like, just starts shaking stuff up. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I know, you know, a lot of times we're wary of, like, really crazy charismatics. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. Because you know what? I myself am also wary of crazy charismatics. Honestly, I don't like a lot of crazy charismatics. Matter of fact, there's crazy charismatics that I personally have told, you need to calm down because you're on one. No, I'm serious. Because, but this is the distinction that I would make. The, the kind of crazy charismatics that drive me crazy what they do is actually often not driven by the Holy Spirit, right, right, right. but the flesh. Yeah. Wow, wow. You see, there's a charismatic culture that will tell you there's stuff you're supposed to do because you're a charismatic. Mm. Like you're, spo- you're just supposed to shake because, you know, you're supposed to like get the vomits and go, ah! <laughs> you, you ever seen those? Ah! Ah! <laughs> you, have, you haven't seen those? You haven't seen those? We don't have any vomiters, you know? It's like, when I first saw that happen, it's like, I'm, I'm like grabbing a bucket, but like, no, he just, uh, he's like, no, he's not actually going to vomit. He's just, eh, you know? I'm like, what spirit is that that makes you want to vomit? I never seen that in the Bible. You know, I tell those people, you need to calm down, okay? You need to go take a Tums or some kind of antacid or something if you're feeling that bad. It's like, oh, no, it's the Holy Spirit. No, don't give me that. No, 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 no. Don't be blaming the Holy Spirit for that. This is my stipulation. When the Holy Spirit himself comes, whatever he does is okay. Right. Like whatever he does is appropriate. If the Holy Spirit sweeps through the auditorium and everybody falls out of their seats and starts laughing hysterically, wonderful, as long as it's the Holy Spirit. Right, right. But if you just think you're supposed to do that, because that's the charismatic thing to do. I, I, heard, I heard a pastor preaching and he said, he said, you know, I started going to the altar asking the members of my church why they were doing what they were doing. And he said, I walked up to the altar and there was this kid and he was screaming. And so I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, young man, why are you screaming? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> and he says, are you feeling the Holy Spirit that strong? And he goes, no. He goes, then why are you screaming? He goes, I just want to honor God. And he goes, I'm so glad you want to honor God, but I don't think he's honored simply because you're screaming. <laughs> you know, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where you got to scream to honor God. Like, no, how about if the Holy Spirit comes on you and you can't help yourself, that's great. You know, I, see, I was the guy also. See, growing up in my church, I was the crazy charismatic. Occasional, not all the time. But the Holy Spirit would come upon me in ways that would freak people out. So I remember one time that we had a visiting pastor. And he was preaching the most powerful sermon, in my opinion, that I had ever heard. And through his whole sermon, my, my heart was just being stirred. And I was just, I was just, tears were flowing down my face. And I'm like, is nobody else hearing this? I'm looking around and everybody's just... 
And I'm like, is nobody else hearing this? This is like the most powerful sermon. And by the time he got to his closing prayer, I lost it. I just lost, I couldn't contain it anymore. And I'm starting to go, yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. Like Pastor Larry Ann and, and even Anthony sometimes. You know, when that, you see that come on him, you know what I'm talking about? I couldn't handle it anymore. It's just a two, I couldn't hold it in. I'm like, hallelujah. And so I go down to the altar at the end. I'm still crying. I'm like, Pastor, will you pray for me? And he's like, sure, I'll pray for you. And he put his hand on my shoulder. That was it. I was out. The power of God hit me so hard. And I went, hallelujah. And I fell backwards under the power of God. I wasn't trying to fall. I wasn't. It was not a courtesy fall. You seen those courtesy fallers? I'm not into courtesy falls. That's just that ain't right. You know where the pastor would just stay over you until you fall. You know what I mean? They get you rocking. Thank you, Lord. Touch him, Lord. Touch him, Lord. And then they just tip you over. Hallelujah. That's more for the pastor than it is for you. You know? I'm not into that. You know? There was a guy. I'm sorry. This is a side story. But there was, there, there was a guy, there was, there's a new family on the Emeryville side. My wife and I took him out to dinner, and uh, this, is, this is about a year ago. And uh, my wife asked, so uh, you guys have been in the church for about four or five months. How do you like it? Well, first, tell us your background. Tell us where you come. And the guy starts telling us the story. He's like, yeah, I grew up in this Pentecostal church, and every summer they would take us to, to youth camp. And uh, every night at youth camp, they would pray over us until we would speak in tongues. They would like to stand there and pray over us. And they wouldn't let us go to sleep until we spoke in tongues. I mean, for hours. It would go on for hours. And he says, so we would just fake it. He said, because we wanted to go to sleep. So we would just be like, Shondo. Retie my bow tie. Who stole my Honda? You know what I mean? And they would go, hallelujah. And they would send us off to bed. And we'd be like, thank God. He goes, so every year I would fake tongues at youth camp. Like that's what I would do, you know? And so, and so I said, well, wait a minute. So what's it like for you coming to Living Hope, you know? I mean, because you come here and you hear people speaking in tongues all around you. So what's that like? Did that freak you out? And he goes, you know, for a moment, it kind of freaked me out. He goes, but then, uh, you know, a few Sundays after I came, uh, Pastor Sonny said, if you want God to touch you, come to the altar. And she came over and she laid her hands on me and started praying in tongues for me. And then suddenly I started praying in tongues. Wow, wow. And I was like, wait a minute, was that your first time ever praying in tongues? And he goes... First time I didn't fake it. <laughs> that poor dude, that poor dude. Okay, this is racial. I'm sorry. That poor dude, he's a, he's a young European-American guy, right? And he's a total hipster, right? I mean, that's just his thing, right? But when he first moved to Oakland, he had recently given his life to Christ. And his sister called him on the phone on Saturday night and said, tomorrow morning, you better find yourself a church. And he goes, but I don't know any churches around here. She goes, you better find one. So the next morning he woke up and he walked outside and looked and saw a church across the street, said, that's where I'm going today. And he walked in and it was a black church. Now, mind you, this guy had not showered, had not shaved. He was wearing a t-shirt, some ripped jeans. He had a nose ring, long hair and a ponytail. And he walked in and, the, and it was a black church. And the usher looked at him and said, where you think you going? <laughs> he said, oh, I was going to go to church. He goes, no, you not. <laughs> no. He said, I'm not. He goes, no, you not. He goes, oh, okay, I guess I'm not. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he turned around and went home. That story just broke my heart. I said, they threw you out? I was like, you tell me that church. But then I looked at him and I thought, they probably thought he was going to Dylan roof the place or something. You know, he... he <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, sorry. I mean, <laughs> but still, that was wrong to throw him out of that church. That was racism. <laughs> anyway, what was I talking about? So I, I go to the altar and I ask this pastor to pray for me, right? And he puts his hand on my shoulder and the power of God hits me and I fall back under the power of God. Have you ever seen that happen? You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes on somebody so strong, the power of God comes so strong that you lose all of the strength in your body and you can't even stand on your feet anymore. I mean, that's crazy. When God really does it, it's crazy. And God did it to me. Like that moment, it was like, when he touched me, it was like, you know what I mean? And I, I went, thank you, Lord. I fell back under the power of God. But it freaked him out because he had never seen that before. So he tried to catch me. And he came down with me. <laughs> Poor guy, real skinny pastor. It freaked him out. And, and a very elderly man. I felt so bad. Very slender elderly man tried to catch me. And fell right on top of me. Bam! <laughs> and then he was apologizing. I'm so sorry, brother. I'm so, and I couldn't say anything because I was so full of, full of the Holy Spirit. But I wanted to apologize to him because, you know, for taking him down. But... Um, it freaks some people out in my church. It freaks some people out. They were like, what is wrong with this kid? This kid is crazy. But there are times when you just get so full of God. It's like Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When your heart is just so overwhelmed with the presence and power of God, sometimes your mouth can't help but speak it. You say, well, I've never experienced that before. Yeah, but you've probably said some mean things that you wish you hadn't said. Mm. And you just had to say it too, didn't you? You know why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Wow. Yeah. Anger can overpower you, but the Holy Spirit can't. Yeah, wow, wow, wow. wow. Sadness can overpower you, but the Holy Spirit can't. Come on. Do we think anger is more powerful than the Holy Spirit? Mm -mm. Do we think sadness and human emotion is more powerful than the Holy Spirit? Listen, if anger can overpower you, the Holy Spirit much more. Yeah, should yeah. be able to overpower you. Yeah, come on. And out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth can speak. Come on. So they're perplexed, they're amazed, and they ask the question, whatever could this mean? Verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice. And by the way, verse 13, others mocking said, these men are drunk with new wine. They thought they were drunk, which doesn't make a lick of sense. Because if there was an alcoholic beverage that would help you speak foreign languages better, believe me, I'd buy some tomorrow. <laughs> it would help with, you know, all of my overseas travel. It would help me when I was in seminary. <laughs> it would help me in postgrad, especially when I had to do German. Oh, Lord. Good Lord. I'd rather do Greek and Hebrew any day over German. That's a tough language. But anyway... Um, these people, they just didn't know what to make of it. We don't know what's going on here. So maybe they're just drunk. So Peter stands up and he says, these men aren't drunk as you think. It's only 9 a.m. See that? Peter was a little bit of a comedian there. He threw that in. <laughs> these people ain't drunk. It's only 9 a.m. Don't nobody get drunk at 9 a.m. He says, no, 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 no. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Peter, watch, watch what he does. He looks at the clear work of the Holy Spirit and then turns his attention back to the Bible and says, Lord, what does this mean? Mm. 
He brings Scripture to bear upon the clear work of the Spirit of God. This is the hermeneutic of the early church. This is the way they interpreted Scripture. To the members of the early church, the apostles, the Scriptures are there to explain to us the clear work of the Holy Spirit, to shed light upon what God is doing because what God is doing in the now for the, for the first century church, what God is doing right now is so radical, so different, so unexpected, so beyond anything we could have anticipated. We need God to show us. We need God to explain to us what's happening. Right. But if we want God to explain anything to us, we got to go back to Scripture. Yeah, that's good. that's good. That is their fundamental Presupposition, their foundational understanding is when I need understanding, I go to Scripture. That's good. When I need God, I don't... See, I think a lot of times in life what I see believers doing is trying to use the Holy Spirit in in ways that He's not meant to be used. Like, like for instance, Mm. you're confused about something, so you say, I'm just going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to explain it to me. Mm. Open up the Bible and read the Bible. That's right. (laughs) Let God explain it to you through the words of Scripture. Yeah. Right. Right? This is what the early church did. When, even when the Holy Spirit did something that they didn't understand. Yes. They're like, we got to go back to the Scriptures to find out what yeah, this means. Yeah. That's good. And so first thing Peter says is, let's go back to the Bible. If we want to know what this means, everybody else is just speculating. Right, right. Peter is meditating. Yeah. So good. So because the early, they didn't know what it meant either. And Peter says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, says he, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And upon my servants and my handmaidens, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I'll show signs in the heavens above and wonders on the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Point one of Peter's sermon. God promised this a long time ago that he was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And if you go back to that Joel 2 prophecy, it's about restoration. God sends his spirit when he's getting ready to restore things. Whenever things have been broken down, whenever things have been devastated, whenever things have fallen apart, the answer is the spirit of the living God. Listen, whenever you need any kind of restoration in your life, what you need is a fresh breath of the spirit of the living God. When your health has failed and you need your health restored, you need a fresh wind of the spirit of the living God. When when your relationships are broken down, you need a fresh wind of the spirit of the living God. What we need here at sons and daughters more than anything else yes. is a fresh wind of the spirit of the living God. Yes, come on. And then Peter goes from scripture to Jesus. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles. Whatever does this mean? This was the question they asked. First of all, this means God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. Next question. Why is God pouring out his spirit on all flesh? Answer, because of his son Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by signs, wonders, miracles, and mighty deeds which he performed among the people. But you remember when you guys were back here for the feast of Passover about 50 days days ago, you guys were crying out, crucify him. 
See, sometimes we forget that the same crowd that's now gathering to bear witness to Pentecost was the crowd that was gathered for the Feast of Passover 50 days ago, less than two months ago, and they were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. They bore witness to the crucifixion of Jesus. Now they're bearing witness to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Remember that guy, Jesus? You were wrong about him. Yeah, yeah. Remember that guy, Jesus? You had no clue who he was. Mm. That guy, Jesus. Yeah, you took him with lawless hands. You crucified him by nailing him to a tree. But God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. He says, let me tell you what this means. What it means is number one, you were wrong about Jesus. Number two, you saw him crucified. But what you missed after you went home from the feast is that on the third day he arose again from the dead. And number three, he has ascended to the right hand of the Father and received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And number four, he's poured out what you now see and hear. What this means, what this outpouring of the Holy Spirit means is that you were wrong about Jesus, that Jesus is more than you think he is. He's greater than you think he is. He's more powerful than you think he is. You thought he was a man and a rebel, but I'm here to tell you that he is both Lord and Christ. Whenever God sends an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, It is because he is exalting the name of his son, Jesus. And whatever region in which God sends an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it is because he he is exalting the name of his son, Jesus, in that region. If God sends an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the city of San Francisco, it's because he is exalting the name of his son, Jesus, in the city of San Francisco. This is why we pray, Holy Spirit, come. It is because when the Holy Spirit comes, he bears witness to the resurrection and glory of Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, yeah. that's it. You say, how can I glorify the name of Jesus? This is how. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's good. The greater the outpouring, the greater the exaltation of Jesus. Yes. That's good. Yes. That's good. The greater the outpouring of the Spirit, the greater the exaltation of Jesus. Wow. By pouring out his Spirit on 120 people in the upper room, he was able to raise up the name of his son Jesus before a crowd of thousands of people and a representative gathering from every nation under heaven. And all it took was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that means that if in your heart you resist the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, if in your heart you do not desire the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, if in your heart you even reject the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what you're actually rejecting or denying or resisting is that which comes to exalt the name of Jesus. And by partnering our hearts with God and saying, Lord, come. Come the way you came at Pentecost. Pour out your spirit among us the way you poured out your spirit on that original gathering. Do it again. What we're actually doing is partnering with the heart of God to exalt the name of his son Jesus 
to make Jesus famous in all the earth. Amen. Amen. Now, what happens at the end of the sermon, verse 37, the scripture says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Why were they cut to the heart? Because they remembered 50 days ago, they were crying out, crucify him. And now suddenly they realized they got it dead wrong. You see, it's a little different for us because none of us were there crying out, crucify him. Maybe we've been passive about Jesus, but we definitely have not been aggressively against him. Most of us, I would say, probably. Mm, right, right. But they were cut to the heart because they had been aggressively against him. They were in the crowd that were going, crucify him. Can you imagine this huge crowd? And most of them didn't even know what was going on. All they knew is that everybody else was crying out, crucify him, crucify him. They're like, who are we crucifying? They'd be like, this dude named Jesus. All right, crucify him. That's what we do when we crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And remember Pontius Pilate said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. He's done nothing wrong. And the people cried out, his blood be on us and on our children. Wow. Wow. I mean, they literally called down a curse on themselves. We'll We'll bear the blame for the blood of this man. His blood be on us and on our children. And now they hear this and they go, oh, snap. He was raised from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God. He just poured out the Holy Spirit. He just fulfilled Joel 2.28. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Do you hear what they're saying? The crowd's going, please tell us what to do. What can we do? Please tell us what to do. And Peter said, it's easy. You realize that you've been thinking wrong about Jesus? Repent. You realize that your heart is not fully surrendered to Jesus? Just repent. Why don't you just repent? And by the way, repent metanoia does not mean to say you're sorry. It means to change your mind. Come on. Repentance is first and foremost the acknowledgement that my, the way I was thinking was wrong. That's good. It is the judgment of my prior way of thinking, and it is the establishment of a new way of thinking. That's good. That's what it is. Repentance is what I thought was absolutely wrong. And number two, so I'm not going to think that way anymore. Here's how I'm going to think. Right, right, right. He says, repent, and then number two, be baptized. And baptism is a public declaration of your intent to serve Jesus with all of your heart and with all of your life for the rest of your life. It is an outward sign of an inward reality. And it's public. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm. What happened to us in that upper room was not an isolated experience. That's good. That's good. But a normative experience. Come on. Peter says, what you actually saw up there is the definition of normal Christianity. That's good. If you repent and get baptized, you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. On what basis does Peter make that claim? Go back to John the Baptist. 
When he introduced Jesus, what did he say? He said, there's one standing among you that's greater than I. I'm not worthy to unlatch his sandals. I baptize you with water. He's also a Baptist. But he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's right. And with fire. And then, after his resurrection... He walks with his disciples for 40 days and speaks to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God and then takes them up to the mountain of olives and says to them, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which you've heard of me. They're like, wait, what, what, what promise are you talking about? You don't remember what John the Baptist said? He said, I baptize you with water but you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, Jesus said. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to his disciples, you remember that promise of John the Baptist? I've yet to fulfill that one. That promise is about to be fulfilled. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father is that you're going to be baptized, which in the word baptized, baptizo, literally means to immerse. When you take something and immerse it in water, you're baptizing it. It's not a technical term, actually. It shouldn't be a technical term. That word should actually be translated. Instead of baptizo, they turned it into a technical term, baptism. It should actually simply say immerse. You will be immersed in the Holy Spirit. It's called the immersion in the Holy, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's the immersion in the Holy Spirit. It's simply to get dunked in the Spirit so thoroughly that your entire being is enveloped by the presence and power and love and glory and power and (laughs) majesty and radiance of God where you feel Him even in the tips of your fingers and in your toenails. and, And it's like every component of your being is aware of the presence and power of God. That's immersion. That's Holy Spirit immersion. Jesus says... This is the promise that you're to wait for. And then Peter realizes that that promise was not just for the 12. That's right. And he realizes when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost that that was the beginning of something that was for all people. If this is Joel 2.28, then it's for the whole world. That's right. And so Peter says, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, to as many are as afar off. Which is crazy. Like Peter already is speaking of people afar off. How about 2,000 years later? Yeah, come on. Meaning, Peter says, there's no expiration date to this promise. That's right. To as many or as afar off. Even to as many as the Lord our God should call. Meaning, every single individual called to salvation through the grace of Jesus Christ has the right to receive the immersion of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Everyone. Come on. No one is excluded. Everyone. That's good. That's good. The promise is to you. The promise is to you, not only to you, Christine, 
but to your children. That child that is in your womb, that's growing in your womb, yeah. there's a promise of God over that child's yeah. life. And it's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Isn't that crazy that the moment your child is born, Joanna, she's got a promise. That's good. There's a promise over her life. But for many of us believers, it's an unclaimed promise. Mm. You ever discovered in your wallet or in your purse or in your drawer an unused gift certificate <laughs> that you've had for years? That's what the gift of the Holy Spirit is like to many believers. Oh, wow. An unused gift certificate. But you know what the crazy thing? All the value of it is still there. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah, diminished yeah. in any way, shape, or form. When you find an un it's like finding an unused Amazon gift card for $10,000. He out of a bubble sundown. Hallelujah. <laughs> it still works. It's still good. The value is still there. That's crazy, right? <laughs> and what happens when Peter says this? Mm. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to the church. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. One. 120 people get filled with the Holy Spirit. They make such a commotion that a crowd of thousands of people gathers to figure out what in the world is going on. Peter stands up and explains what was going on, connecting it to Scripture and to the person of Jesus. Mm -hmm. The people are cut to the heart and they respond, asking, what shall we do? And Peter directs them towards repentance and baptism and sets their expectation on receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And 3,000 people respond to that message and are added to the church that day. And what's implicit in this passage is that all 3,000 of them received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And verse 42 tells us what the result is. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. No teaching on devotion, no teaching on commitment, not even a membership class, just full of the Holy Spirit. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, quote-unquote, community groups, <laughs> and to the breaking of bread, which means they all served a ministry, and to prayer. They all came to WNP and Sunday shift. <laughs> That is, they all devoted themselves to being a part of this thing. Why? Do you know where their devotion came from? The fullness of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's good. Do you know why Christianity is so weak in America? Mm. It's lack of the Spirit. Wow. Wow. Lack of commitment, lack of the Spirit. Wow. You ever seen somebody make a commitment to Jesus Christ? How many, do, you know, do you realize that statistically, it's a shame. Statistically, it's like, like somewhere around 11 or 12% of people who raise their hands in America to receive Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior are still walking with him by the end of that year. Wow. Every year, all across this nation, people are raising their hands and coming to altars. Do you know what's missing? The fullness of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, come on. 
The Holy Spirit comes to establish us in the truth. The Holy Spirit comes to break bondages off of our life. The Holy Spirit comes. Listen, this is why I cry out for a deeper measure of the Spirit's life each and every day. Why? Because without Him, I'm so weak. I've had people tell me, you're so strong. No, I'm not. I'm so weak. You wouldn't believe how weak I am. I am 100% dependent upon the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to strengthen me on a daily basis. Without that power, I would fall headlong into the worst forms of sin and debauchery that you could imagine. I would fall out so quick. I have no power in myself. I can't do it on my own. And you know what? That's true for every single one of us. That's right. Maybe we just haven't discovered it yet. But when our hearts begin to open to learn how to live in dependence upon the Spirit of God, do you know when you discover your weaknesses, it's a wonderful thing. That's one of the things the Lord has begun to teach me in 2018 is how to glory in my weaknesses. Mm, wow. How to say, you know what? I'm weak in this area because when we tend to discover that we're weak in an area... <laughs> We try to clamor to become strong in that area. Right. And I realize that's a mistake. What I'm actually trying to do is become strong in that area in my own strength. Instead of realizing if I'm weak in an area, that means that I have a great opportunity to be dependent upon the Lord to be strong in that area. Instead of trying to become strong in that area myself, how about I just linger in my weakness and depend upon the Lord and say, Lord, you're able to keep me from falling. Lord, in this realm, I cannot keep myself, but you're able to keep me from falling and to present me blameless before your glorious presence without without fault and with great joy. And do you know what I found? I found that when I'm in my place of weakness but dependent upon the Lord, I'm stronger than I could ever imagine. Why? Because I'm not dependent upon my own strength Mm. in the least bit. Mm. The early church was born, a church of 3,120 people with no planning, no flyer, No social media campaign. No building. No worship team. Zero equipment, zero budget. But yet there were 3,120 people who were 100% devoted, fervent, on fire, and connected to one another and to the vision of the house. Why? The answer to that question is easy. The Holy Spirit came. Spirit of life came. And I'm not saying any of that stuff is wrong. Matter of fact, we're going to work on doing all that stuff better this year. But behind all of that lies the power of the Holy Spirit that is able to do immeasurably more than could ever be the fruit of our efforts. Because what we desire is not simply excellence in church, but the exaltation of the name of Jesus in our region. And if we truly desire the name of Jesus to be exalted, to be exalted among us, and to be exalted because of us, Mm. 
we must start with this fundamental cry. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads and pray. Holy Spirit, we're dependent upon you. And to some extent, we know that, but to perhaps a greater extent, we don't yet know how dependent we are upon you. But Lord, I pray that you would give us a revelation today of how desperately we need you. God, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for an immersion of the Holy Spirit. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. That this would be our upper room. And that we would learn to wait in the upper room of our hearts until you come. Lord, help us never to take your presence for granted. More and more I'm realizing that every moment that I sense your presence, I should never take that for granted. Because when you allow us to sense your presence, you're giving us a precious gift. And I pray that we would treat your presence as precious. And I pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit upon each and every soul in this house today. Yes, God, yes. That would bring about both the revelation of your presence and of your law written upon the heart. Some of us are asking questions inside like, is this okay? Is this okay? Well, I don't see the Bible saying anything about this being not okay. And maybe this is legal. And so this must be okay. But Lord, when the law is written upon our hearts, we don't ask those questions. Because even if it might be okay for somebody else, it's not okay for me. That's right. And even if it might not be okay for somebody else, it is okay for me. Why? Because the witness of the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Holy Spirit is that which connects me to your heart so deeply that I know when I'm grieving you. And we all need a deeper measure of the Spirit's life. So Lord, if I come close to grieving you, that Holy Spirit, you would prick my heart. You would prick my soul. Let there be an awakening today, I pray. Mm. Holy Spirit.